Salutations to all you good people at home. This is Jack Stewart introducing another great program from Dave and Isaac. Sponsored by Players Bachelor Cigarettes, a cork tip cigarette made from the finest American soil grown tobacco. Delightfully smooth and full of flavor. Yes, Bachelor Cigarettes for the full reward of tip smoking. And now, your host for the next hour, Dave and Isaac Wright. Hello and welcome to Dave and Isaac Discuss. My name is Dave. I'm Isaac. And in this very first edition of this Dave and Isaac inaugural episode, we're going to be talking about a couple of subjects. This is true. To be revealed very, very soon. Momentarily, actually. I'll keep them in suspense. That's right. And one subject comes from, coming from yourself? From myself, what we're going to talk about is um, Unix and some of its descendants. The first time you told me that you were going to be talking about Unix, I thought you meant like the people who don't have testicles. Yeah, like a eunuch. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was hoping. And their descendants. <laughs> <laughs> which, which have descended. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be talking about a one Swiss-born Edward Albert Meyer, who has been... A UFO contactee. Oh, since contact the, E. Since the age of five years old. Since he was so since he was five years old, the UFOs have been contacting him. Oh yes. Ooh. And that's only the beginning of this man's life. At five? His life didn't begin until he was five? <laughs> oh no, it's not just aliens. Oh, okay. Oh well I'm I'm definitely excited to learn a little more about Edward. Yes. Alright, so we're gonna flip a coin here. You're going to call it in the air. All right. Heads or tails? It's a double-sided coin, and it has neither heads or tails on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both asses. All right, you ready? <laughs> it's just ass. Tails. It's tails. It's tails, so I go first. You go first. Let's talk about Unix. Let's do it. So, one of the biggest confusions, um, I think, in the, the whole sort of Linux realm is the difference between Unix and Linux, right? So what I, do you I think, think the it's between is? Unix and Unix. Unix and Unix? <laughs> and especially Unix descendants. That's confusing as hell. How does that even work? Okay, well to be fair, let's let's start just a little bit clear. Alright, so what do I think the difference between Linux and Unix is? Yes. I don't even know what Linux is clearly. Like Linux is just an operating system. No, okay, so here's where we're going to start. Okay. At the creation of Unix. Okay. Um, so Does Unix lead into Linux? Yeah, so... Okay, in the, so yeah, the let's mid, do this. The mid to late 70s, um, Bell Labs was developing uh, an OS. And um, at the time, Bell Labs was part of AT&T Laboratories. Oh, so, they had a laboratory? So Yeah, they had laboratories. <laughs> it's a plural. <laughs> um. Yeah, so AT&T and Bell used to be huge in the electronic industry. Um, obviously, they're not so much I don't anymore. see Bell as much. No, you don't. So AT&T went from electronic industry to a bit more of a provider? I think they still do more than just being a carrier, but they're definitely known. Because, you know, they were landlines. Um, did they have internet service for a while? Mm, I don't know. I don't know either. But they did have landlines, and uh, now they're a carrier. 
But back then, they had a lot more stake in, in electronics, especially since this was the early age of computers. Everybody was getting into it. Yeah, so um, in the Bell System Technical Journal, written in 1978, there were four kind of fundamental principles laid out for the design of this operating system. Well, wait, and this was by the AT&T Laboratories, and they were developing... Bell Laboratories, yeah. Yeah, Bell Laboratories. Bell. <laughs> okay, so Bell Laboratories under the AT&T umbrella. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were developing an operating system? Yeah, so at the time... What um, was it for? Was it for anything in particular? Um, I think it was for some... It was either for some IBM system or some... AT&T or Bell system. I don't remember exactly what they were developing it Because for. everything at that point was kind of up in the air, right? I mean, they were, well, there was a lot more. Wasn't it a, It didn't cause a crash, obviously, but wasn't a little bit like the video game boom where everybody was like, text out, let's fucking get our hands on this. Kind of. There was a, a real disuniformity in, <laughs> That's true. In, in OSs. So if you had an application that you wanted to run it kind of was your OS. Like, you just ran one application. Okay. And if it crashed, your whole computer crashed. I mean, it just... And it was really difficult to write these applications because you had to write them from scratch and you'd have whole <laughs> teams writing an application that does one thing. And okay. that's basically your OS. So your computer was just a box and then you would take applications and then use them, but only that application. That application crashes. Your computer so crashes. So imagine you turn okay, on your I computer, see. right, and you boot directly into Internet Explorer. Right. And that's it. <laughs> and then you're there. That's it. That's all you get. Sounds good. Doesn't it? Internet Explorer and nothing else on your computer? <sighs> no, I take it all back. Internet Explorer burned the thing. I'm sorry. What is it called now? Expedition? I can't believe that they <laughs> tried to get away from it. I don't know what it's called, but they use the same logo. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> so, anyway, this is kind of how the OSs were set up at the time. Okay. Um, so they laid out these four sort of principles to build this OS based on. Um, the first one was to make each program do one thing well. So what that means is if you have a specific task that you want to perform, okay, you write a program that does only that task. Instead of trying to write a program that does all the things that you need to do, write a program that only does that task, and it does it really, really well. And if you need a new task that the computer can't do, you write a new program for that task. Okay. So you're not trying to make an entire um, thing work for a bunch of things. You're trying to make each one run properly individually and then go from there yes and the reason that they did that was for the second principle which is to expect the output of every program to become the input of another so you have a program that does one thing and it gives you the output and the program is written in a way that expects that that result from that program to be used as the input of another program so this is how you link your programs together okay to perform more complicated tasks. Um, so the whole idea here is that you just don't clutter the output with a bunch of information that you don't need. Okay. Just keep the thing. Data files and things that just you don't need to use. It's a simple conversion idea, but instead it's linking. So the output file can be used. Right. So if you just need that output, then you've got it. But... 
if you don't need that output, you need a different output, then you send that output through a different program. Um, so then the third thing was to design and build software that can be used or tried out like really quickly. So you can write these programs within a week instead of the months that it took before to write programs. Okay. Um, and then the idea is like, if it doesn't work, you throw that part out. You just throw it out and you write a different one. <laughs> so you don't have to throw out your entire thing. Your whole OS isn't dependent on this one program. Nice. Um, and then the last one was to use tools um, in preference to unskilled help to lighten programming tasks. Um, this basically means your programs need to work together. So whenever, you know, it just kind of follows through the same thing. So the the thread here is... This was something that hadn't been done at the time, though, which was yeah, uniformity. obvious now. Especially with the way that everything works uniformly now, it seems. You can use everything cross-platform pretty easily, but back then this idea was a pretty bold one, honestly. Yeah, to be able to, to write something that can be used as sort of an underlying an underlying foundation to write more things. Yeah, it can always be built upon. And and, and creative minds can continue to build upon that. So they um, took these principles and they wrote a program, an OS, called Unix. Um, Uniformed X? I don't think it really stands for anything. Or, like, the history of it is kind of... Muddied? Yeah. Um, But... It was definitely novel. It was definitely a novel idea. Unix. And it was made for who knows what specifically, but it was just going to be an OS, and they worked from the foundation up like a good builder should. And there's definitely a lot more history to it. Um, It kind of was a, a project that was being carried out under a bigger umbrella, and it just didn't really ever come to fruition and a couple guys took it over and kind of copied the original ideas and wrote unix so unix did it just get come out and become a something that was the people's operating system where did that come from no i mean at the time there was no such thing as a people's operating system i mean this is still a time where you've got an entire floor dedicated to your computer and then you've got terminals. That's true. So, you know, this is still back in the late seventies. It's pretty early age of computers. Yeah. I mean, the floppy disks were big in the late seventies. Yeah. They were large. (laughs) Um, one of the biggest defining features of Unix that you'll hear is that everything is a file. Have you heard that before? Uh, -uh. so what that basically means is that to the Unix operating system, every single bit of information, configurations, um, programs, external devices, inputs and outputs, are seen to the operating system as a file, and it's in the directory. Okay. So there is this awesome post on Stack Exchange, on the Unix Stack Exchange, where this guy really goes into like the details of 
what this means, what everything as a file means, and how it relates to Windows. Because Unix is an idea that's still around, but as an operating system, it's not still around. Okay. So these principles and ideas were taken and copied by other people. And some of them are kind of direct descendants of Unix, but you've got different branches that are Unix-based. Okay, so it still lives on. It definitely still lives on through its principles. Okay. So Linux is not an official Unix descendant. It's a Unix clone. Um, But then there are a few that are... What's the difference between a descendant and a clone? There's a Unix specification, and you have to meet certain criteria to be to use the trademark Unix. Okay. And so there's a few that meet that. Um, Mac OS is one. Mac OS is officially a Unix system, but it's not Unix. It doesn't operate just, as a Unix system. It's just the ideas, and it complies to the Unix um, standards. And that's basically every Unix operating system anymore. Okay. So then there's a few other ones. Um, I think it's called BSD is a really popular one that has a lot of descendants. And then Linux is the other really big one, but it's just a clone and it's not a licensed Unix OS. That's right. Um, So this everything is a file thing. Whenever you plug a drive into a computer, into a Windows computer, right? You know how you get the letter. You've got C, you got F, you got... you can visualize that as being its own um, directory tree. So you know how you get C and then NC, you've got program files and you've got um, users. Yeah, so you can click on that hard drive and then go into fo- folder after folder and go deeper and deeper. Yes, yeah, so that's your directory tree. Mm-hmm. In Windows, you have your directory tree for different drives. In Unix, you only have one directory tree, and it starts at forward slash. So forward slash contains everything in the operating system. Input-output devices, like your monitor, your, ca- your keyboard, your mouse. Okay. It contains um, all your configuration files are in that, that tree. All your programs are in that tree. Everything is in that device tree, and it's accessible, as opposed to Windows, which uses multiple device trees. So if you plug in a thumb That's drive, right. it'll appear as an F drive. That's a different device tree. Whereas in Unix, you have to mount that drive somewhere in the file system. And then you could, you could technically mount it anywhere, but you would mount it to something like slash or forward slash um, home forward slash and then just keep going down that tree you, until you put it and mounted it where you wanted it. Right. You can put it wherever you want, wherever you do that. Say it's a thumb drive, all the files that are on that thumb drive will appear in your directory tree. Um, typically, OSs will have a spot where they get mounted. So in, on Mac computers, they get mounted in slash volumes. Okay. In Ubuntu, they get mounted in slash media. And Ubuntu is a Linux. Yeah. Okay. It's a Linux-based OS. So you can, you can put those anywhere you want, but generally speaking, just to keep things organized, you put them... In one spot. Well, that's convenient. Um, so Windows has this thing called a registry. I've seen it, but I don't understand it. It's this. Um, it, it's like a an information holder that's entirely outside of device trees, the, or trees, di- directory trees. 
It doesn't exist. The information in the registry does not exist inside a tree. It's its own container for that information, and it's used to store configuration data and um, okay. all sorts of things. All sorts of things. You know, it contains keys and like encryption keys. Right. And, Something they don't want you to just mess around with. No, but you can mess around with it. And Windows, there's a GUI editor for it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so GUI. What is that? GUI. Graphics user user interface. That's right. That's the, what that's what makes people be able to use computers. Right. That's that's what. Instead of typing commands into a command line, you use a mouse to point and click. Yes. On on things on the screen that are images and text that allow you to scroll and use it, that's all a GUI. So if you wanted to mount a thumb drive in your C drive on a Windows computer, there's not really native support for that. You so can you, do it. But so, right. So you couldn't easily mount your thumb drive where if you went to my computer on a Windows and you would see your C drive, and then down lower you would see that thumb drive named whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You couldn't put that so that if you went in there, you clicked on your C drive and then went into a folder, and there was your thumb drive. Yeah, you can do it, but it's not natively supported in Windows. Okay. As opposed to um, Linux, where you can put it anywhere you want, and it'll just appear there. I mean, that's kind of appealing to uh, people who want to put, like... Uh, Let's say they want to put their movies in their videos section of Windows folders, and they want their drive mounted there. They have a movies drive, and they want it mounted in the videos folder. That would be cool. Right, exactly, if you okay. wanted to put it there. I, see, I, see, I can see the reasoning. So um, that's kind of the difference between Windows and, and Unix operating systems as far as directory trees go. In Unix, everything has a file that represents it. So just because it's a file doesn't mean that it's a file, but there is a file to represent what it is. So that it can be read. Yeah. So it can <laughs> be human read or read by the OS. Computers are magical, aren't they? They kind of Literally. Are. Yes. <laughs> Actual magic. Um, whereas Windows uses multiple device trees and then and it far also less has magic. that registry. Oh, that registry. It uses black magic. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, one of the other big distinctions distinctions that unix has is a thing called a pipe it uses pipes and they named it that is that an acronym no that's the name for it so what this does is um it allows unix programs to talk to each other so you can pipe this is that input output thing that i was talking about earlier okay you can pipe one thing to another and the os handles all of that Instead of it being sort of a higher-level thing, it's a really low-level deal that the, the OS handles. So if you have a, um, let's say that we go back to the thumb drive example. Okay. Um, or no, let's say a keyboard. Let's say okay, take yeah, a let's change it up. So normally, I'm on a Windows. Right. I got Windows 10. No, I have Windows Vista. I'm a douche. I'm like, I love it. I love it so much. I love Windows Vista. It's the best that Windows has ever done. I've tried all of them. I know I know better than you. Right. And I plug it in, mm-hmm. and then I find that I'm not connected to the internet. So I go download a driver on for another computer. Yeah, for <laughs> another computer, and then I thumb drive it in and install it. Right. So or 
So, I plug it in, and it just works. Which is typically the case, because oh, modern OSs have gotten really great. Yeah, they're really good at that. You just plug it in, and it says in the little corner, hey, we're good to go. So you plug it into your Windows computer, and um, it takes those drivers, mm-hmm. and it uses drivers at a core level. The way that Windows works is drivers are like a real, real base level thing. And it interprets for you those those commands, and then it just kind of sends it out into the the OS. Uh, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> here you this go. This is truly OS. magical. It's it's like, and then there's fairy dust, and all of that makes it work. We just spreads it all over it. Fairy dust is an excellent way to describe how uh, drivers work. work. <laughs> drivers especially. <laughs> Um, on Unix, however, what's going to happen is you're going to plug it in and it becomes a file. So it has to get mounted somewhere. Okay. And the then keyboard? The keyboard becomes a file. Okay. And then the OS I uses guess pipes. I guess technically the keyboard's input becomes a file? Yeah. You know, even though it's, it's a device, it's not literally a file, but it, right. it kind of gets translated into a file. And so... As far as the rest of the OS is concerned, if it needs to access that that keyboard, it's accessing a file, and it's being piped. That information is being piped from that part of the OS, the the part that's handling the um, that file interpretation from the keyboard. That information will get piped to wherever you need it. Okay. So pipes are basically this fundamental way of communicating of the os communicating with itself okay so if you've got a <laughs> program weird. here yeah it is kind of an, uh, a different because it, it makes sense but then it's like how do you, it's kind of hard to really visualize and one of the reasons for that is that unix is a primarily command line based os that's right so you would open up your black and white text editor and start clicking away. Right. So so if you're browsing if you're using Unix, you have a GUI built on top of um your command line sort of input. Whereas if you're using Windows, for a very, very long time, Windows has been built from the ground up as a GUI operating system. And it's so fundamental to the OS, there's no way to run Windows without a GUI. Interesting. So with Unix, what you end up with is kind of a a GUI just slapped on top of the command line interface. With Windows, you cannot separate the two. So that's one of the fundamental differences between Unix and Windows. And could be a benefit to those who want to use their computer in that way. Yeah, and, and that's a little bit of an oversimplification. Um, Windows obviously has command <laughs> Just line. Just slapping a GUI on top of the command line is an oversimplification. Uh, yeah, it might be. Just a I get wee it. bit. You know, because I'm sure that everybody has had at least some experience with command prompt. Oh, boy. Which, um, CMD. Is a thing that Windows has. And you can use it for some things. If you want. But in Linux, you open up Terminal Linux or even something that's a Unix... Um, descendant like macOS, you open up terminal and you can do everything. Anything you can do from the GUI, you can do from the terminal. You just have to know the input. You just have to know what things you got to type into that terminal. 
And there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can type in. Because all the things you were clicking are things you could run. Type, 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 type. But in Windows, you can't necessarily do everything that you can do from the GUI in the command line. Um, so here's kind of an example of how that piping works from a different perspective. And this is how I understand it. And I think this is right. Um, if you SSH into a, let's say a server computer. So what that means is you've got your computer hooked up to the network. Mm -hmm. So I've got a Linux server computer and I open up terminal on my Mac. I can SSH into it. So I type in its IP address and the username I want to log in as. So you have your computer. You're on the same Wi-Fi network mm-hmm. that it's plugged into. Yes. It's a separate computer. Yeah, two different computers. And you open up this black background, just text. Just text. It's old you, school command line. You type in the numbers, the home address, blah, 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 dot, blah, 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 dot, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, and then you type in the username. Which you had set up on the separate computer. Yes. So that username is not your computer's username. It's your server computer's username. And then you start accessing. And you hit enter and SSHs. SSHs. So on the, as far as the server is concerned, there's no remote connection there. Because whenever you set up that SSH, Unix will create a, um, a file that handles all this interpretation, and then whatever commands you send to it get piped into the OS. So it uses those pipes to interpret what's coming from your computer that you're typing on and actually send it through to Unix. So the only part of Unix that knows you're you're connected remotely is the part that's actually handling that SSH. But as far as the rest of the OS is concerned, it's coming directly from the computer. <laughs> You're doing it right there. You're doing it right there. So as opposed to remote desktop on a Windows where you have to access the entire GUI and it's kind of taking all these m- mouse inputs and everything's live translating them and lagging and, and lagging, lagging terribly and you're controlling it that way. Um, Unix uses one file and pipes that information to the rest of everything else. As, as though you were there. Those are concerned. Those pipes are coming from the same spot they would be coming from if you were there with a the keyboard nice. and a monitor. So that's kind of neat, I think. I think that's handy. And it, Well, it is definitely handy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the OS just doesn't care that you're SSH'd. It doesn't know, and it doesn't care. It's just taking the commands. That's great. It is. Um, In Windows, if you want to edit the registry, you have to do it with the GUI. Okay. You have to. If you want to edit configure files, config files, which are kind of the Unix equivalent, you just do it with the text editor, and you do it on the command line. Like everything else. Yeah, so everything in Unix basically can be edited with either command line prompts or a text editor. And, of course, text editors work in command line. They might not be fancy, like Microsoft Word. No, none of it's fancy. But you can edit it that way. So because everything's a file, that means that everything can be edited that way. It kind of gets interpreted 
and then you can edit it. And those are the the main differences between Unix and Windows. Um, from a core perspective, they function basically the same. You have a, a core-level bit of software that translates the hardware to the software. So, so at this fundamental level, you have zeros and ones that are represented by electrons on the hardware, and that gets interpreted into sort of a more human, understandable type code, and that handles Human all. type? Human type. Because the technology all. is totally alien. It is. Have you ever tried? It's intensely alien. Um, that handles all of your interpretation. So actually, your program, if you were to write a program and say C++, um, that would get interpreted, it would go through the kernel, and then the kernel would send, convert it to zeros and ones, and then send it through the CPU and take care of all the processing. And then take Easy. that as outputs and then send them back through. So the kernel is your translation layer between your hardware and your software. Simple. It's easy. It's really easy. It's just like making a pie. Um, and that's true for both Windows and Linux, or both Windows and Unix. It's just like making a pie. Yeah, that's no, they, exactly what they're like. They both have a kernel that does the same thing. They function a little bit differently, but they do the exact same thing. They translate the hardware to the software. That's electronics. So that's Unix and kind of the difference between them. And so what you have to think of Unix as is a... Is not a man without testicles, but more as an operating system men. for a computer. It's Unix. Not, it's not multiple it's a men. Mul- multiple men missing multiple balls. It's not that. Yeah. It, what you want to think of it more as is, is, is an operating system for a computer. What you want to think of it as is a set of principles that a an operating of system is built on. Principles, not balls that have been set into a satchel less rather than a sack. I mean, you can think of it however you want. Whatever works for you Unix. to memorize. <laughs> what Unix is? Unix. Yeah. Here's how I know what it is. I go, Unix is not a man without balls. Unix, since it is plural is a computer operating system that no longer is being used, but its descendants are currently living strong. What if right. you were talking about multiple people missing their balls? Then I would definitely make more of a show of that. Unix. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't mistake me <laughs> for that. So, But I think that that's the important distinction to remember here. Unix, very specifically, was an operating system. Anymore, it has some direct descendants. It has lots of copies. But at, at its core and where we are in time right now, Unix is a set of principles that define how you build an operating system. But you can write the code however you want. Nice. Wow. Um, so that's Unix, but not Linux. So Linux is a copy of Unix written by... Um, it's a clone. It's a cl- that's exactly what it is, is a clone of the Unix operating system. Um, there is this guy, and his name... Escapes me. Escapes me. <laughs> and I should absolutely know it because of how many times I saw it. His name is Linus Torvalds. Okay. What do and, you do? And Mr. Tolvarosos. He was writing his own operating system. And 
it just got kind of popular. He got out of control. So I was like, here, I'm working on this OS for me. I need this. And this is what it is. And can you just put it out there? And people really liked it. The internet, man. Um, But it's important to understand something. Linux is not an operating system. Linux is a kernel. So the kernel, I was kind of talking about it uh, earlier. It controls more than just that um, translation between the hardware and the software. Um, It does that, and that's its core purpose, but it also um, figures out how it's going to allocate resources. So how much RAM is this program going to get? How much CPU time is this program going to get? So it determines all of that, how to, um, how to use the resources that it has available, and then it translates what you want to do directly to the hardware. And that's what a kernel does. Nice. So the kernel is the core of the operating system. So um, the Windows kernel is called the NT kernel, and it's been around since uh, Windows 2000. And, and by the way, that's one of the big differences between ME and 2000. Um, I believe it's ME uses an old school kernel that 95 and 98 used. For Windows 95, 98, and the long forgotten Windows ME. And then Windows 2000, XP, and up use the NT kernel. Okay. Um, just a rewritten kernel. You know, it's like if you... Just made it better. Cleaned yeah. it up. Yeah. Just tightened it. Gotcha. They made it more modern. So Linux is a kernel that's a clone of Unix. Right. Windows uses N... The NT kernel. NT kernel. Um, kernel. Mac OS uses the Darwin kernel, which is... Of course they do. Partially um, based on open source software that's a descendant of Unix. Um, and partially proprietary written. And the same kernel is used on macOS and on iOS and on watchOS and on tvOS. Nice. Yeah. So that's part of their their whole family ecosystem, their whole Apple right. ecosystem. They share the same kernel. And then a lot of the um, OSs share some of the same resources. Like uh, tvOS is basically a modified version of iOS. Just works that way. They, they yeah. can modify their shit, huh? They can do it however they want. I see. Apple. I see. Um, so then the question becomes, what is the colloquial Linux? Because if you say Linux, you assume you're talking about something like Ubuntu, right? Right. There's this thing called GNU Linux. GNU slash Linux. If you ever want to know a lot about GNU Linux, because there's a lot to know, be prepared for some contentment. There is a really weird... Look, I love the Linux culture, and I'll get into why, but there's a huge attitude in the Linux GNU circle that they are absolutely better than everybody else, and anybody who doesn't follow their principles are wrong. Period. Yeah. They're, they're a harsh community. They really are. If you get into... So if you're a Mac user, you might run into, you know, the Windows versus Mac debate and everything. If you're a Windows user, you might go Mac versus Windows. And anytime you kind of do research on it, there's always going to be fanboys. There's legitimate reasons to go with one over the other. But whenever you go to um, research Linux, 
you'll notice that Linux is generally left out of the Mac Windows debate. And the Linux people aren't happy about that. They scream. They want they want to be a part of this debate, and they are not a part of this debate. And it's an unfortunate group, but it's very fun to watch, be a part of. It's it's extremely fun. I mean, I'm a little a wee baby trying to learn, um, but you're heavier into it. So, um, whenever you go research something on Linux, which um, I think probably now is the good time to talk about. Um, GNU Linux's core principle is open source software. And what that literally means is whenever you write software, it's called the source code. So if I write it in Python, that's the source code. And you can read that. It's human readable. But when it gets compiled, it's just turned into zeros and ones. You can't read it. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're superhuman, right? So if you have a Windows computer, if you have the Windows installation disk and you copy it, you're copying zeros and ones. You plug it into your computer, it's reading the zeros and ones. You don't have any way to view that source code, so you don't know how the operating system works. Linux and GNU are open source, which means you get to see all of the code that was written, and you get to see the the writer's comments about them, and you get to see how it was written, and that lets you hack it, and it lets you figure out how it works or make it better. And everybody can edit it, and they can compile it themselves, and they can run it. And that's what open source software is. It's also called free software, and there's an issue. GNU Linux is not um, originally from an English language. Um, Linus Torvald, who's the guy who wrote Linux, is actually native to Sweden. Sweden? And I know they speak English over there. But there's a translation issue where we call it free software, and we perceive that to mean that it doesn't cost you anything. Right. But that is not what free software is under the umbrella of GNU Linux. Um, And this is a quote from this documentary that's on YouTube. It's called The Code, colon, Story of Linux. Um, It's good. There's this part in it where music kicks in and they show about two minutes of Linus driving in his convertible down the street with all these cuts. Like a, imagine a opening to like a 1980s TV show. Okay. And that's in that documentary for no reason. Oh. And it's very entertaining. But the rest of the documentary is... is (laughs) Um, just kind of put together, I think, by either a person or a group of people who like Linux. Quite a bit, <laughs> and okay. They, and they went around and they interviewed these people and they put together this documentary. It is really good. It's called The Code Story of Linux. Um, it's on YouTube. But um, one, of the, one of the guys was talking about um, why Linux is free as compared to Windows. And he says... I believe business should not dominate all of life. The rules of society should not be chosen primarily to please business. And what he's saying here is that computers, computer code, is not just a hobby. It's, it's obviously integral to modern society, but it should not be governed by money. It should be, it should be for everybody. 
for everybody to learn and use and experience, and they should have access to that. Yeah. In the beginning of this documentary, one of the guys puts it really well. He says, um, imagine that you have a recipe, um, and you really like this recipe, and all your friends really like this recipe, and they want that recipe from you, so you give it to them. And one of your friends changes the recipe a little bit to make it better suit them or to make it taste better. And um, they then can take that new recipe and share it with everybody else. And then he goes, but imagine if all recipes were designed in a way that there's no way to change them. They're stuck how they are. And you have to accept them that way. And that's corporate software. Windows, cool. Windows is written by Microsoft, and there's no way to change it. You don't have the source code. You don't get to edit it. You don't get to make changes. You don't get to. Su- you can suggest changes, but it's Microsoft. Yeah, it's like suggestion anybody. box. As if anybody reads those, AKA the dumpster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but free software, on the other hand, is the idea that that source code is available. That recipe is shared with everybody. All the ingredients in that recipe are listed out and anybody can read it and anybody can change it. And anybody can say, hey, look, I think this would be better if you did it this way. I did it this way and I liked it. What do you think of this way? It's And here it is. Here's how you do it. Here, If you want to do this, here's how you do it. We have this and here it is. And that's how you need to think of free software. It's free in the way that um, freedom. Eagles are free. It's it's the eagle kind of free. It's freedom. The it's freedom versus um a free for currency freedom. Well, that's a that's a pretty good operating system if you're willing to go through it. Now it is also free. Yeah, it, it, and it the happen, reason that it it's free, be free is because it has to be free. If you're giving away the source code, anybody can compile it and then just give it away for you. Exactly. There's no protection there. Which you can understand why business would want yeah, to do that. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, but the idea behind open source and the open source community and specifically GNU Linux is that it's not a business. It's not there to make money. It's there to make the best software that you can. So there's this guy, his name's Alan Cox. And for a while, he was kind of Linus's right-hand man. Um, he kind of Alan Cox. So let me explain kind of how this works. Linus is still the head of Linux. He still does a lot of development on Linux. Um, and official releases are primarily governed by him. So if you want to make a change to Linux, you can, you know, be like, Hey, Linus, this is the change. And then send that email. Okay. He won't get it. He's got guys that sort through. Of course. Absolutely. But ultimately, those changes come to him, and he decides which ones to, to implement and which ones to not implement. And he does a lot of development himself. I mean, he's, he, this is his baby. He loves Linux. That's good. Um, but Alan Cox is kind of his right-hand man, and he does a lot of the same things. But he, he does a lot of sort of sifting through different stuff and then suggesting things to, to Linus. And he said in that same documentary... The last thing we want to do is have much code in the Linux kernel, which requires large amounts of effort to keep it working. We want code which will continue to work and work forever. 
And that kind of goes back to that Unix principle. Make things simple, make things work, and make them work together. So if you need to perform a complex task, you use simple tasks to get it done. You stack simple to more complex tasks, and they work together. They work because you wrote the simple parts to work with other simple parts. They're all files. They all work together. And if you need to do a complex task, you need to get higher. They will stack on top of each other because they fit. Because that's how the entire core system is designed to work. Very nice. And you'll notice that Linux is an exceptionally stable operating system. There's a reason it's so popular for servers. It works. It is stable. Ours is very nice. It's a very stable OS. Um, It doesn't have money really backing it. It does, but not not in the same way that Microsoft or Apple backs their OS. Right. Their backing is also a uh, business backing, so they need to see a return. And um, there are some paid Linux. Um, the, The biggest one is Red Hat linux but you're not buying the software you're buying the support that they provide so they back their software and that's what you're paying for right and that's fine and they go by the same open um that's cool open source principles now i want to talk a little bit about the gnu project okay Um, so first of all they don't like their os being called linux gnu linux does not like that they want to be called gnu linux they really want to be called GNU, I'm pretty sure. It's not happening. That's why it's called GNU I'm not Linux. doing that. If you, They're going to be furious if they hit... I'm not calling it GNU. Look, I am not going to um, quote anything off the official GNU website, but if you want to understand what I'm saying when I say that they're kind of butthurt about Linux taking their name, go to the official GNU website. And just read two or three paragraphs um, on what GNU is. And the site's just GNU.org. Nice. And if you go there, the first thing that says is, what is GNU? And then it'll tell you. All right. We'll have a link up on this on this episode for GNU.org. GNU.org. Um, they... So let me let me tell you what GNU is. Linux is the kernel. We've been over that. GNU is everything else. Okay. It's programs that are written on top of the kernel to make your OS work. You've got things like programs that handle um, hard drive management. So you can partition hard drives and you can read hard drives and plug stuff in. You've got text Just, editors are part of GNU. You got your GUI is part of GNU. So basically every program that's not fundamental to the kernel is GNU. Nice. And the whole idea from the so, very beginning was to create an open source. So they really took over that market over there, didn't they? GNU did. The free free software? Yeah. Free in the eagle sense software. <laughs> Freedom. Freedom software. That's what they should do. Rebrand. Freedom software. Freedom software. Eagle? Mm, fuck yeah. Call it eagle. There probably care would be some licensing s- issues. What is it? Switzerland? Sweden? Sweden. I don't know if GNU is based out of Sweden or not. Linux is, though. Nice. Um, So it does all the other stuff. So GNU does everything else that's not the kernel. So from the very beginning, the whole idea was everything in this OS is going to be open source, free, in the eagle sense, software. They didn't have a kernel, though. 
So they had everything that they needed but a kernel. And Linux was a natural fit. It just worked. It was like this magical little love at first sight thing. And they... And they made a baby. I'm pretty sure it's penguin. a. I'm pretty sure it's a love hate relationship. I'm they, pretty sure Linux loves GNU and GNU hates Linux. <laughs> <laughs> and they had a little Ubuntu penguin baby. They had a little penguin baby. Um, the penguin is the official mascot of Linux, by the way. That's awesome. And that's great. It's fantastic. Just a little I penguin. love the penguin. I'm pretty sure the penguin has a name. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. That's his name. Um. So that's what GNU is, and their core principles, everything in the OS is open source, and it's free. And it's very, very, very difficult to get a good distribution of Linux, of GNU Linux, that's truly 100% free. Every bit of code in there is open source. Most of your distributions, like Red Hat and Ubuntu are they have closed bits of source code in them okay and a lot of that has to do with third-party um drivers okay so can you know communicating with third-party equipment certain components on your motherboard or certain um adapters like your wi-fi adapter might need a third-party program that's not open source gnu does not like that oh they are very, very, very adamant that that is not okay. the oh. GNU Linux principle. If you're going to put out an OS, every single bit of code in that OS better be open source, or it's not GNU Linux. Oh, very clear on that point. Um, and I also get the sense that they're very butthurt about the fact that everybody calls their OS Linux. They will not embrace it. And you'll notice that's a very, very common theme in the whole open source community. I think that open source software is fantastic. Um, it's important. It's integral, regardless of their very attitudes. Important. Very, very, very important. It's, you know, it is like if recipes suddenly became something that you couldn't modify. Yeah, like, it was just the standard and it was set. And that's how you use it. And even though you can do cool things with the way that it looks. You can make great brownies. But you can't add pot to them. No, you can't put marijuana in them. No. Speaking of marijuana, is there anything else you have that's important on Unix, not ballas, men? Um, no. So basically what I want to finish this out with is um, Unix as an OS is not around anymore. Unix is a set of principles that an OS follows and that makes it Unix. Now, you can get certified <laughs> Unix, as Unix is a religion for technology. Basically. Very nice. <laughs> it's basically a set of rules that you follow, and it becomes Linux. And if you follow those rules, and you pay the fee. What? What? And you pay the fee. There's a fee? I'm sure there is. Nice. Probably. They're making money. Well, yeah. Mac. You can... Um, be licensed as a Unix software. So Mac OS is a Unix software. OpenBSD is a Unix software. Um, Linux is a clone of Unix, and it follows many of the same principles, and for all intents and purposes, it's Unix. But it's not officially licensed by Unix. So it's free and freedom. Linux is technically a kernel. GNU is technically the rest of the OS. 
and together they make GNU Linux. However, I encourage everybody to use the word Linux to define the entire thing and fuck what they want. <laughs> yeah, fuck saying GNU. Look, I'm sorry. I get it, and I'm a backer of your principles. But Linux is a better name than GNU Linux. It's much better. It's a better name. Linux. It's, it's a fantastic Off name. Off the tongue. And just as a little um, trivia point here, the name Linux was just a working name. It was never intended to be the final release name. And I, it, it comes from Linus. His name is Linus. And then the X, which is necessary if you're doing a Unix-based I just software. thought it was because it's cool. You throw that X in there. And it was a working name. <laughs> Chuck it in there. Throw it in somewhere. Um, and it just stuck. Because, of course, it stuck. Because Linux. It's a great name. It sounds good. It rolls off the tongue, man. Linux. I want to emphasize this for the GNU people out there. Linux is not the OS. Linux is the kernel. GNU Linux is the OS. You know, the kernel. But please just call the whole thing Linux. Call it Linux. I'm sure they do. Um, and then the distributions of Linux that you have are basically if you take that, if you take the Linux part, the kernel, you can modify it however you need to. Let's say you have different drivers you want to throw in or something like that because mm-hmm. the kernel takes care of your drivers and all. You can modify the kernel however you want. Um, and then the GNU part, you can also modify. So all your other programs, um, you can modify those or add them. They can be closed sourced or open source, however you want to do it. And you can release that as a distribution. Okay. So Ubuntu is a distribution, and it's one of the most popular distributions. Quite. It's not all open source. GNU Linux is not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) But it is very popular, and it's very user accessible. Um, Red Hat is a release of, of Linux that has different programs than Ubuntu does. It has a different GUI than Ubuntu does. But at its core... It's still Linux. Right. It still uses the Linux kernel. So it's, it's like Linux is a chocolate chip cookie. And flavors of Linux are variations on that chocolate chip cookie. You can make it with margarine or butter or oil. You can use big chocolate chips or little chocolate chips or white chocolate chips or peanut butter chocolate dense. chips. You can put macadamia nuts in it if you want to. Nice. You can put cocoa powder in it if white you want chocolate. to. White chocolate. It's still a chocolate chip. Holy shit. And it still has flour in it. It still probably has milk in it. And it probably has eggs in it. I don't know how you make chocolate chip Gluten cookies. Gluten-free, though. Fuck off. Gluten-free flour? Wait, what? <laughs> what? So if you imagine Linux as the recipe for a chocolate chip cookie, flour, butter, milk, eggs. I don't know how you make one. You're pretty close. <laughs> but you can change that up however you want. You can add, you can make them sugar cookies, or you can make them chocolate chip cookies or double chocolate chip cookies, or triple chocolate chip cookies. Just got to learn to cook. Or you can make a marijuana chocolate chip cookies. Or you can make brownies. That would be kind of a different OS. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've gotten off track. But that's how you think of Linux, is it's a core bit of software that can be changed up however you want and released as a flavor of Linux. Nice. That's what it is. Well, it sounds like we should take a break for some sort of cookies. Um, This will be coming back on part two, where we will examine Mr. Edward Albert Meyer for our two-part 
first episode. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you immediately after. Bye.